Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey friend, support this podcast by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes. And you can also do that now in Spotify and leave five stars for Infertility and Me podcast. This will just help increase our show's ranking and reach so that we can continue to reach more people and more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. Now, let's get into the episode. Welcome to Infertility and Me podcast a show that amplifies diverse stories about the struggles of infertility and fertility in a safe space. Our goal is to normalize fertility stories that validate, give hope, and create a community where no one is left silently suffering. Hey you guys, welcome back to another episode of Infertility and Me Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Farouk. Thank you so much for tapping that play button and subscribing on YouTube as well as following on your favorite audio platform. I hope you guys are doing okay. I hope that you are staying sane. So look, today's episode, we're going to get right into it. It's a Q&A session with Dr. Matrika Johnson. I wanted to have her on the show so that you guys can get to know her better as well as her practice. And also, if you're in the area of Charlotte, North Carolina, you can reach out to Dr. Matrika if she resonates with you for your fertility needs. Dr. Johnson completed her undergraduate training at Davidson College, where she was a Davidson scholar. She later earned her medical degree from Wright State University, where she received the Janet C. Thompson Memorial Scholarship Award for her academic achievements. Dr. Johnson completed her residency in obstetrics and gynecology at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, where she served as a board member for the Residence and Fellows Diversity Initiative. After residency, Dr. Johnson completed a research fellowship at Case Western Reserve University followed by a fellowship in reproductive endocrinology and infertility at the McGee Women's Hospital of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. Dr. Johnson is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology, as well as reproductive endocrinology and infertility. 
In 2020 and 2021, Dr. Johnson appeared in Charlotte Magazine list of the top doctors in Charlotte for the specialty of reproductive endocrinology and infertility. Dr. Johnson is the founding physician of Reproductive Specialists of the Carolinas. When Dr. Johnson isn't helping patients, you can find her running in the beautiful city of Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Johnson also enjoys the musical arts, international travel, and the great outdoors. She is happily married and loves spending quality time with her husband, stepson, and dog, Apollo. You can find Dr. Johnson's fertility practice at fertilitycarolinas.com. You can find the Instagram page for Fertility Carolinas at Fertility Carolinas on Instagram. If you want to connect with Dr. Johnson on her IG page, you can find that at D-R-M-A-T-R-I-K-A. Everything will be in the show details if you're watching on YouTube and show notes if you're following on your favorite platform so that you can tap and go and learn more about Dr. Johnson as well as her practice in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I encourage you, if you are in Charlotte, North Carolina and you're seeking reproductive assistance, if Dr. Johnson after today's episode resonates with you, please, please do reach out to her for her services and get your consults. But today is Q&A community questions being answered. We'll be back in just a second with Dr. Johnson. All right, you guys, we're back with Dr. Johnson. She's on the show today answering you guys' questions, and we're going to get to know a little bit about her more, as well as her practice in Charlotte, North Carolina. So thank you, Dr. Johnson. It's such an honor and pleasure to get to know you more and to finally see you face to face, not live, but live. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a pleasure to get to see you too. Thanks for so much for inviting me today. I really do appreciate it. Yes, pleasure is all mine, dear. Pleasure is all mine. So tell us a little bit about how you got into reproductive care. What fired that passion? You know, honestly, I went to medical school to become a pediatrician and then I realized that that was not the right path for me. And then I was led to OBGYN by a mentor. And then ultimately, I just remember that we had a presentation when I was a first year med student that was talking about IVF and like how like the intricacies of it. And, you know, I knew that it was a specialization off of OBGYN. And I knew that 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 was what I wanted to do. When it came to hormones and systems, I just get it. It just clicks for me. It makes sense. And, you know, as a doctor, you need to do something like medicine is always changing. So you need to pick whatever it is that you want to read about for the rest of your life. And this is something that I could read about for the rest of my life. I really, I enjoy my patient population. You know, I enjoy the science behind it. There's a lot of science behind it. And um, I think that that's what just kind of drew me in. There's a problem and you fix it. I think that that's, that's the part of it that I loved. And so for a more generalized question, what inspired you to go into medicine overall? And, and you said pedi- <laughs> pediatrics was your first choice, right? So yeah, so my sister is a pediatric nurse practitioner. And I think that, that I wanted to do peds. And then if you ask my sister, I became a doctor because I wanted to one-up her, if you ask her. But I did. I mean, I don't know. That's the only person in my family that was in medicine. But I literally came home in the eighth grade and told my dad I was going to be a doctor. And I will tell you that my dad always told me he didn't care what I was, but I better be the best at whatever I was. 
And so since I came home in the eighth grade and told him I was going to be a doctor, I was on that path. Even when I was in college and I was a psych major, he's like, you're still going to med school as a psych major? And then when I switched my major to Spanish, he's like, so you're still going to med school, right? And so, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> I love that story. Siblings <laughs> making each other uh, better, I should say. Yes, I love it. I have a sister too. We weren't quite as competitive only because I'm not a competitive person at heart, but I understand it and I see it all the time. So I love that it it helped propel you into the greatness that you've come into today. And then having your fertility practice, I so, so love and really admire because there's not enough reproductive endocrinologists that are black women, as you already know. There are not. You know them. You know them better than I do. So I was just elated to be able to make a scheduling for you um, on the show so that people can become aware about your practice. And then also know that there's another black doctor out there. You know, there we have, I know of one in, one or two in Atlanta, but I didn't know of anybody in between where I am in Maryland. You know, so yeah. I'm like, where, if I ever had to, again, if I wanted to go do it again, or I wanted to see a black doctor, where could I go that's close enough to home or close enough to where I would be moving to next? And so I'm just so glad that you were able to get to the point where you could open up your own practice. A lot of doctors don't have the opportunity or the resources to be able to do that. So just congratulations. I love it. I'm oh, thank you. It. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, I will be, it's not something that I aspire to do. It wasn't a goal. It just, it was something that in the moment, needed to happen mm, yeah mm. so let's get into the community questions let's do it. there were about four of them your time is very limited so we'll get right into it and the first one that more than one person asks actually or what are some things that we can look for as patients when choosing a reproductive endocrinologist and or choosing to switch from a current reproductive endocrinologist maybe two or three things looking for your rei i think that the one thing the most important thing is you need to find someone who's going to listen to you. Like that's number one. Someone you need to feel like you're being, you're being heard. I think that, you know, I listen to a lot of the intricacies of what my patients tell me. And you really need to find that you, the person that you're talking to, that you feel that they, they hear you and they understand you. I think that that's kind of the other thing is that they understand you. As I tell my patients, you paint, you paint the box. I color in the lines. Not everyone's box is the same. Some people's box, their border is IUI. Some theirs is IVF. Some is, I want donor egg and a gestational carry. I want it all. I don't care how we get it. I want a baby. And so that box is different for everyone. So you need someone who understands you and understands what your box is. Like, what are your limits? And then I think the last thing is that you need to feel like your doctor, whether it's your RE or anybody, honestly, has your best interests at heart knows that, you know, when they're giving you that care plan, they're telling you, like, sometimes I give tough love. Sometimes I know that you really want to do an IUI, but you can do an IUI all day, every day for the next five years, and you're never going to get pregnant that way. And you have to know that I'm telling you that for your best interest, and you need to feel like the person who tells you that is really having your best interest at heart. Because if you don't trust what they say, then when you're, if you're doing that IVF cycle, then you're going through that IVF cycle, but in the back of your head, you're thinking... Do I really need to be doing this? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Are they, did they really mean this? Like, I know my friend, she can see it with IUI, like maybe I could have done it. And so I think that those are the things, you know, they need to listen to you. 
They need to understand you and you need to feel like you trust them. Mm, I love that. I love that. I love that. And I think that more specialists and other physicians should be able to say things like that in a very direct way, um, but also still empathetic. And I think that we just need more of it. And um, I've been to quite a few specialists. I've, I've been the person that had to switch to a different RE and and that's someone who was going to string me along, just collecting an extra couple dollars from me <laughs> for whatever reason, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? And they didn't really they didn't really have what I needed or could offer what I needed. So I love that. And I love the, a lot of people are intimidated by directness, but I think it's also very necessary, especially when you're spending thousands of dollars. And so I love that you said that. And hopefully someone will take that to heart and make a decision, a sound decision for themselves and advocating and such. So that's a, that's great. I love that. Yeah. I will tell you one of my patients, um, she told me, Dr. Johnson, I heard you're good. She's like, but this is what you will not do. You will not t- play with my time, my coins, or my emotions. I promise you, I will not play with your time, your coins, or your emotions. Yes, 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 yes. That's something that we don't all have a lot to spare these days, okay? Especially, oh my gosh. So another um, question that the community had, and I think it was about three people that had the same question, and it was, are heavy menses and menstrual cycles and large clots during menses a concern? And if all of her tests are coming back normal, like her laparoscopic tests and all those things, is there... Is there another reason that that could be happening if that should be a concern? So, um, I know it can be sometimes, yeah. So a couple of things with periods. Because as a fertility doctor, I hear the intricacies of like, this cycle was this and I bled for this and I had two tampons here and three pads. I hear it all. I get the pictures. Yeah. I get everything. I will tell you, in general, normal menstrual cycle is somewhere between four and seven days. If you're bleeding eight days or more, that's abnormal, and we should probably try to look to see what's going on as far as the quantity of what you're bleeding. And this is hard to quantify. People bleed on a normal menstrual cycle anywhere from 5 to like 80 cc's, which is like milliliters. So we're not even talking like a can of Coke. Like we're just talking like like a very small, a, a very small amount. I think that as far as quantifying bleeding, the other thing is that when blood hits the water, it always looks like more than what it really is. And so that's the first thing that I tell my patients. And then the next thing when it comes to clots and things like that. So a clot, a blood clot is really just organized blood. It's like basically, it's like ice. So water turns to ice. When water turns to ice, it generally, you know, it takes a different form. And that's all that blood is. It's like the solid form of blood. And so when people have clots, you have to think about, did I do, have I been laying down all day and then I got up and then I had a clot? Well, probably, yeah, because you weren't moving around or was I sitting at my desk and then I had a blood clot. So some people were just, and some people are more prone to getting clots. So I won't necessarily say that there's something wrong if you're like having heavy bleeding and passing clots. You know, the most common reasons why people do that is usually it's fibroids. That's what it is. You know, so if I see fibroids, then I'm going to blame it on the fibroids. If I don't see fibroids, I may say, well, maybe it's something like adenomyosis, which is when there's endometriosis in the body of the uterus and the uterus can't really contract as well. If the uterus isn't contracting as well, the same issue with fibroids, it's not getting that blood out. So it's sitting. Sitting blood is going to turn into a clot. And so those are kind of the things that, you know, you need to think about. But I hear about the intricacies of people's menstrual cycles. And normally, 
you know, in this specific instance, if I go through everything and everything's fine, the answer that patients hate, my period lasts seven days and it's super heavy. Yeah, dude, I don't know. I, I don't know. That's your period. Your period is different than my period is different from her period. But if we've done everything and we can't find anything, that's just what your cycle is, especially given a couple of things. One, is the uterus a normal size? If the uterus isn't a normal size and it's enlarged and there's no fibroids, and then I'm going to circle back to maybe this is some adenomyosis. And if the uterus isn't a normal size, then why isn't it a normal size? If I do your ultrasound and your uterus is like teeny tiny, the smallest it could be, but you're having heavy cycles, my only answer to you is going to be, unfortunately, that's just the way your cycles are for you. So, you know, for this specific person, if they say that they've done a laparoscopy and, you know, everything's normal, I mean, I think the things that we need to look at are, you know, have they checked to see if there could possibly be some evidence of adenomyosis? Is the uterus a normal mm -hmm. size? And those are the things that I would worry about because, honestly, usually when you're having, you know, tests and clots or things like that, it could be just because the uterus isn't contracting while they push the blood out. Yeah, I never knew that because I'm a clotter. That's why I call myself. I'm a clotter, <laughs> and I always have been since puberty. Now, when I'm on a on a rec exercise regimen like I am now, they're much lessened because I work out 45 minutes a day, five days a week, four days a week. So, wow, I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know that. It's all the the, the reading I thought I had done. Obviously, it wasn't enough because I didn't know that. <laughs> but you're the expert. That's why you're here. <laughs> oh, we need this kind of information in our life because. I don't think some, I think people are having experiences where doctors are giving them very vague answers and they're not going into detail and explaining it the way that you do. So that's amazing. And I'm so glad that you said that and, and, and really explained that because I can pass this episode along to a lot of people, a lot of people. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Okay, the next question was, are there any other options for blocked tubes other than just the removal? Yeah. And the second part of that that I wanted to add that I didn't send you, I forgot, uh -huh. was if tuber removal is the only option, what is the reason for removing the tube? Okay. Does it cause concerns later on? All right. So a couple of, couple of different questions there. So one. As far as blocked tubes, it depends on why your tubes are blocked. So, you know, 
the first thing, you know, if you do an, a, an HSG, so an HSG, that's a hysterosalpingogram. That's the dye test where we want to see the uterus as a pretty triangle. Dye comes out, goes into the uterus, spills all over the pelvis. That's what we want to see. So if we do that test and we don't see that, then, you know, where is the tube blocked at? First thing is, if the tube is blocked, we call it proximally, which means like you see this pretty little triangle and you see nothing come out. Well, then that could just be a tubal spasm. Maybe both of your tubes spasm and they're both open, they're fine. And so maybe we just need to repeat the HSG. So generally when I see that, I will order what's called a tubal cannulation. It's an HSG with cannulation. It's something that's done by the interventional radiologist. Actually, the REI doesn't do it, or this REI doesn't do it. And so, <laughs> I can't, I don't want to speak for everybody. And so, yeah. basically what happens is it's just like doing a heart cath. The radiologists, you know, they do the dye, and they'll put the dye through to see if the tubes are blocked. And sometimes they're like, yeah, we did our HSG, it was completely normal. And that's because the tubes had a spasm before. But basically what they do is they take a guide wire that's the same guide wire that they would use to, like, unblock, like, a carotid artery in your heart, and they put it through your tube. The thing is, is... Honestly, like, that's going to work. 50% of the time it's going to work. 50% of the time it's not going to work. But usually, if someone has a blocked tube, that's kind of what I call in the early part of the tube, I'm more than willing to go ahead and try that. And I'm, more, I'm willing to try it in the distal end as well, but usually when the distal or the long ends away from the uterus are blocked, part of the issue with that is usually there can be some scarring. And so that's kind of the issue there. But when it's up earlier, it could be a mucus plug. It could just be old cells or debris or things like that. Um, and so the first thing is a cannulation. Now, if the tube is blocked and it, the, the fluid is doing what it's called building up, something we call a hydrosalpinx, um, which is a fluid hydro and salpinx tube, fluid-filled tube. Now, if it's a hydrosalpinx, then that tube needs to be removed. Why? That tube needs to be removed because it has fluid in it. And there was a study that they did. They randomized women who were going to do IVF that have had, that had a hydrosalpinx. They randomized them to doing IVF in an embryo transfer with that hydrosalpinx in place versus doing IVF after taking that hydrosalpinx out. What they saw was the people who had their hydrosalpinx removed, that are, their success rate, because it was a little while ago, I want to say was roughly around like maybe 40%. And the people who didn't have it removed, their success rate was 20%. So what that, it's like a land-breaking study. Every REI knows this study. And that is the reason why. And so what they said was basically if you have a woman who's doing IVF, who has a hydro in place, if you want to increase, if you want to double her chances of pregnancy, you need to remove that tube. Now, then there's the why. Mm. So the why is there's fluid in there. And the truth is, we don't know the why. The why is maybe because that fluid in there, what I tell my patients is, I don't know, that fluid, maybe it's toxic to the embryo. Maybe it has substances in it because it's not getting out that is toxic to the embryo. Or maybe it's like a big fluid wave that comes in and it washes the embryo out and it just surfs right on out the cervix. Maybe that's what's happening. I don't think that we exactly know, but we know that that was a landmark study. And so for me, if you come to me and you have a hydrosalpine, whether you're doing IUI, whether you want to do an OI, whether you're just trying to have, you know, timed intercourse at home or you're doing IVF, I'm going to tell you, regardless of how you're trying to get pregnant, we need to remove the hydrosalpinx because that is going to increase your chances of pregnancy. The pushback I get from patients is, well, if you take my tube away, then I'm not, you're decreasing my chances of pregnancy. And that's not the case. Having that tube that's damaged with fluid in it, that's already decreasing your chances of pregnancy. I'm actually increasing your chances by removing it.
Okay. Yeah. Because you're not removing the ovary. And so yeah. you could, if you had to, right. Yeah. That makes so much and sense. And this is another question. And I'm glad you say that. Everyone thinks that the, the little diagram that shows your uterus and your tube and your tube's connected to your ovary. It's not. That is not the way anatomy works. Your ovary is there. Your tube is like here. They're near each other. The tube is a fluid thing. It's not attached to your ovary. So I can completely take your tube out and not touch your ovary in any way, shape or form. Right, right. I've seen like actual footage of they had they had caught an an egg being released from the ovary before it reached the tube. It was like the most incredible thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it was so incredible. I just I can't get enough of it. That's so incredible. I'm glad you said that though, because maybe we don't we don't think like that. We don't think the way that you are trained to think as a specialist. So I love that you said that and reiterated that. And then the last question from the community was, can type two diabetes be a cause of difficulty when trying to conceive? So it's not really, it's not specifically type 2 diabetes or di diabetes in general. It's really, what is your hemoglobin A1C? If you are my patient and you're trying to get pregnant, I'm going to tell you that I want your hemoglobin A1C less than 6.5%. If you're doing IVF with me, said with all the love in the world, I'm going to hold your embryos hostage in the lab until your A1C is less than 6.5%. And the reasoning behind that is because when your hemoglobin A1C is higher than that, it can increase your chances of miscarriage, but more importantly, it can increase your chances of a stillbirth. And so that is why, and the, your, the risk for a diabetic having a baby with a chromosome, have, I'm sorry, having a baby with a congenital anomaly is directly related to what their hemoglobin A1C is. And so that's why we worry about that. You know, if your hemoglobin A1C is, you know, in a normal place, generally, I don't really feel like it has an effect on your fertility. Um, but we also have to look at kind of the things that go along with that. And sometimes diabetes and obesity can be like friends and hang out together. And so we also need to look at that. So obesity can cause infertility. Obesity is, um, now we know that actually being obese, you can have a lower AMH level than, you know, your age, your, you know, ideal weight based cohort. And so, you know, we also have to look at that. So that may play a role as well. Gotcha. Wow. Ooh, that was, that was a lot, but man, you're such, you do such a great job at explaining it. I can tell you do your job very, very well. <laughs> I like for patients to understand what's going on because yeah. again, if you paint the box and I'm coloring in the lines, you know, I want you to understand the why. My pet peeve, I never want anyone to like leave my office and say, I don't know, we're doing this because she said so. I want them to say, no, I'm yeah. doing this because Dr. Johnson said this, this, and this, and we've decided that this is what we're doing together. Yeah, and I've seen that too, unfortunately, where people are like, girl, I don't even know. If I, you know, DM someone or send someone an email just checking on them and stuff, I'll be like, girl, I don't know. My doctor said this is... I'm like, oh, man, we're missing the mark. We're really missing the mark here. So I'm just glad that you explain things the way that you do. And um, I made the right decision in making sure my schedule was clear for you today because this is great. And um, so if there's anything else that you would like to offer the community as far as tips and or just words of encouragement, Dr. Johnson, I won't I don't want to hold you too much longer. No, um, I, I love ans I love answering questions, but I think that and it's different. It's, it's different for me. It's, it's an interesting scenario for me being a black woman in medicine treating a patient population that a lot of the times doesn't necessarily look like me. I feel like I get the questions. 
So, like, ask your doctor questions. It's okay to ask questions because sometimes I feel like I'm sitting for my oral boards and I'm like, that was my 3 o'clock appointment. Okay, all right. Well, mm-hmm. next is my 3.30. So, I just think that, you know, I think that we're in a time where I'm not saying that you have to, like, question everything that they do, but if you're doing something and you don't understand why, you should always understand the why. And and if you can't, and if you ask why and you can't get a good answer, I think that that should, you know, tell you about your provider. And I mean that for, like, again, any physician. Um, and that's something that I tell my mom. She's, like, on a new, a new pill. Mom, why are you on? I don't know. The doctor just said. Mm-hmm. Mom, I need you to ask. I need you to ask why. So I need all you guys to ask why. And one of it is, you know, infertility patients, y'all are, y'all are, you're vulnerable. And so, you know, don't let, you know, make sure that you know what's going on and, and that you're not doing something that really just doesn't make any sense or that, you know, you've told your doctor, we really only want to do this. You should also know. So what's the chance of success? Because my patients ask me that all the time. I can't get out of a console without saying, okay, so this is your treatment plan. And maybe it's because I'm in Charlotte and there's Bank of America and there's Wells Fargo and all of my patients are very analytic. So maybe there's that. Maybe that's my patient population. But if I give a treatment, I'm definitely going to hear, so what's the chances of success of that working? Okay, what are the chances of something else working? Those are normal questions. And if you're not asking them, please know that their other patients are asking them. So you should make sure that you ask those questions. And the other thing is, is that I definitely think that, you know, finding a support group that works for you is really important. You know, I do sometimes warn my patients about some, some of the Facebook groups, and I don't want y'all to be mad at me, but some of them are just, for lack of a better word, not super positive. And so I think that you should, you know, Make sure that when you're getting your information, especially from, you know, those sorts of, you know, venues that you're definitely making sure you're mixing the good and the bad. And there is sort of a bias there. People that have had, you know, super great experiences, a lot of times they don't, they don't go ahead and they don't post those things. And so I think that we, we need to know that, you know, there are some positive things out there that happen. That said, I also have patients that have gone to hell and back and, you know, I read their records and I'm like, I just, okay, I've got you now. And so I realized that, you know, those stories out there exist. So I think that we really just need to just make sure that we're getting good information, factual information, and make sure that we have, you know, a good, healthy support net. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Johnson, for those reminders and especially by the Facebook groups because they can be... They can be real toxic. They, I've, I've tried it in the past. I would never do it again. Unfortunately, I would start one if I had the time for people in the community if they wanted it. But I don't have the time. But if I if I were to if I it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. And when you're already overwhelmed by your story and your journey to parenthood, however that looks like for you, the last thing you need is another toxic environment and or people spewing things that may not necessarily be true or or healthy for you to hear. Yeah. And especially if you're not seeing somebody for your mental health as well. So, huh, Dr. Johnson, this is amazing. I'm so glad we were able to do this. Yeah. And just thank you. And so where can we find you online to connect? And then the name of your clinic, just to reiterate again. Okay. As well. So my clinic is Reproductive Specialist of the Carolinas. I am located in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
If you're looking for me on Instagram, you can find me at Dr. Matrika on Instagram. You can also find me at Dr. Matrika on Facebook. And if you're looking for the practice, the practice is at Fertility Carolinas um, on Facebook and on Instagram. Wonderful. You guys heard that correct. Fertility Carolinas on IG. You can start there and then you can find Dr. Matrika's other platforms from the website link in the Instagram bio. You guys know where to find me on Instagram. Everything will be in the show details for you to tap and go and connect and or passing along to a friend or to somebody that somebody that somebody else may need. Okay. Thank you guys for being here on the Infertility and Me podcast. I'll see you next time. Peace and blessings. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C., at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.